two, one, go. Hi, Emily. Hello, Stevie. <laughs> the horns are really going today. I don't. I wonder if something's in retrograde because I feel like everybody's just like literally sitting on their their horns today. Someone absolutely just decided to take a nap on the <laughs> horn about ten minutes ago. It lasted so long. That's not what Scully said. Oh, poor Mulder. Do you think Mulder is? Do you think he? That's not a bad thing. No, no. Um, What'd you say? Do you think that Mulder like can? <laughs> please. Do you think that Mulder can like last a long time, or do you think that he um, is quick and he just like does other things so that she can get there and they can get there around the same time? Or do you think he just like goes for it early and then takes care of her? Like, what do you think is the the order of operations? That's a very good question, Stevie. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like it really depends because two things could be the case, right? It also depends on what, like, are we talking like first time mm-hmm. or are we talking just like in general, like, because, uh, let me talk it out, okay? Because if it's, if it's first time, right, it could go one of two ways, right? He could literally be so overwhelmed by her, who wouldn't be, that <laughs> he finishes very, very quickly and is surprised when she's like, no, dude, I don't care. I mean, she not that she would call him dude, but like, you know what I mean? She goes, yo, bro, it's totally fine. Like, dude, like, don't sweat it. Or he could like freak himself out so much that like he just he can't even he he it's just not happening for him mm-hmm. interesting so because i could see he he seems like a chronic um overthinker like when things are allowed to mm-hmm. like ruminate yeah so like if they were if he knew that this was going to happen like if he knew that their first time was going to happen it's done you know he's done like if he knew about this days in advance it's over for him you know two seconds yeah but if no no no, i'm saying like like he'll psych himself out yeah okay but if it's just like a spur of the moment thing then he's golden i feel like that's a very astute analysis um what do you think it's like in like i want to believe era like revival era I want to believe so like once they've been together I feel like it really just depends you know like it really truly depends on the situation and I don't know if like some I don't know if this is like genetic not genetically but like ingrained in men where like some just naturally finish faster than I I don't know I don't know if that's like a medical thing I have no idea. I don't really care. But the point being... I do. I think I'm curious. We should look it up then. I'll look it up. But then also, like, are there any men that listen to this? (laughs) If you're out there, hi. I didn't know you were here. (laughs) Can you tell us? um, Any penis holders? Penis holders? Penis havers? (laughs) Penis havers? Um... (laughs) How does that work? I'm really curious. And Google always like leads me to thinking that I have cancer. So, see, I am obviously a big um, believer in the inhuman power of Dana Scully, right? No, but so you know, that's my issue, right? Is I'm thinking like if she really like goes for it, 
And like her goal is to just like, you know, she's really feeling herself and all I'm going to say is, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to bash Mulder for not lasting long because I get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're one and the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just bros being dudes. <laughs> Anyways. Hi guys. Welcome to the show. <laughs> We're going to do a question. We're going to be quick though, because this is still long-term plot. Jesus fucking Christ. This is the last one for a bit. Thank God. So the question is, Hi, girls. First of all, thank you so much for creating this podcast. I've learned so much from you both. I'm straight, and one of my dearest friends is gay and admitted to having feelings for me, which in itself, of course, is not an issue. But I've received messages from her planning our future as a romantic-slash-married couple as though they were infallible decisions we made and agreed on together. I confronted her about it and expressed that it made me uncomfortable, and I thought it would end there, but I still see her post things as though we would one day become an item. She asked me about my sexuality before, and I've made it clear that I'm straight— And although I'm attracted to Jillian, it's only her and I do not have sexual and or romantic attraction to other women. However, her continuation of believing that that there's a possibility of us and posting about it makes me feel as though I'm leading her on somehow, especially when I talk about Jillian. I guess what I'm asking is how I can address the situation properly or if there is even a situation to address. It's just that I've thought about if this were something a heterosexual man did to me, I would have blocked and distanced myself from him long ago, but I'm unsure if doing it to her would be homophobic or just simply me protecting myself. Well, (laughs) a few things. I feel like this question, like Emily and I have talked about this a, a few times over a few meals, um, trying to figure out the best way to approach this. And I feel like the best way to start is just to answer the question about how to handle the situation, which I think is a really simple answer, which is just, you need to really explicitly set your boundaries and then like have a conversation and say, it makes me uncomfortable when you do X, Y, and Z. And for our friendship to continue, I need this to stop. Um, and then if your friend doesn't abide by that, be it, then expressing that and if you don't honor my boundaries our friendship can't continue in this capacity like that's pretty simple yeah um and i think the thing too is like comparing it to comparing the situation to if it were happening not with a close friend but with a random heterosexual man um i don't think it's fair um to your friend because like while you absolutely reserve every right to do exactly what you need for pe- with people that you do not interact with, who violate your space that you've created, in this case, like an online space, um, and you absolutely reserve to write the right to block people or mute people or do whatever you need to do so that um, you feel safe and that you feel comfortable in your own space. The first thing you should always do with people who are in your life who are who you consider a close friend especially is communicate with them mm-hmm. i was gonna say because you know it could be the case that they don't even know that something that they're doing is upsetting you um and that's where communication comes in but obviously if you've talked to her already and she still hasn't respected what you've told her i would do exactly what stevie said and kind of put it into that format of if you if this is something that's bothering you to the extent that you feel like you can't be friends with this person anymore, if they don't um, respect your this boundary, then absolutely have that conversation from that perspective. Yeah. Or at least, or if you feel like it 
you need to take a step back if those boundaries aren't being upheld. Exactly. But I agree with you 100% because like saying if like a random man on the internet is doing those things, like of course you would just block them. But if you're considering exactly. a heterosexual man who is as close of a friend as this person is, then the situation is going to be different. So I agree exactly. that's not really a fair comparison. And then I would just say like evaluate your own behavior. Um, you said that you think that you're worried that she, you might, she might think that, or she might be feeling like you're giving her mixed signals because of what you post on social media and the way that you talk about Jillian specifically. It's never bad to take a step back and evaluate the language that you're using in spaces like this. Mm-hmm. And if you do find something that you think may have given her mixed signal, then like bringing that up is absolutely something that I think um, you should do. Even just ask her for clarity. Like I know we've talked about this in one of the previous episodes, which is just like, there's one of the, one of the ways that communication escalates to arguments or one of the reasons that communication becomes muddied is that we don't want to ask for clarity. Um, and that we feel like we have to have everything kind of laid out. We have to have our boundaries set. That's like going into the conversation. That's absolutely not true. I would ask your friend for clarity and ask her if there's anything that you've done that you feel or that she feels has been mixed signals or that hasn't been true to the way that you've described yourself to her. Yeah, just just ask, ask for clarity, I think is the first thing for yeah. sure. And then I know that this isn't what you asked about, but this isn't what you asked about but some of the phrasing of your question prompted a larger discussion for um emily and i when we were having pasta the other night that we (laughs) thought would be um good to discuss here you say in your question that um i've made it clear that i'm straight and although i am attracted to jillian it's only her and i do not have sexual and or romantic attraction to other women which saying that you're attracted to her but oh but it's just her she's special i'm not gay is very remnant of like girl crush culture um which can be really which can be um harmful especially if you're engaging in a primarily queer community and so Um, we just want to talk a little bit about because this very well could not have been your intention but it reminded us about like the like the whole culture of like oh my god that's my biggest girl crush where it's it's like like florence gibbons says maybe it's a girl crush maybe you're queer like I mean, yeah, it's not a girl crush. It's literally just a crush. (laughs) The only difference is like you, I mean, like I think a lot of the time, um, and yeah, again, just to reiterate, this is not, this this may not be applicable to you, but this just prompted this discussion for us, which was that I very much so, at least from my experience, like when I was in high school, um, I loved Kate Winslet, okay? I know that there's people out there who still do, but I have zero tolerance for Woody Allen supporters, so that ended very fast. (laughs) But in high school, I liked her, and I watched all of her movies and paid attention to, you know, everything that she was in and involved with and everything, and felt like my interest in her, like, ended, started and ended with, I just really want to be her, And the fact that that was like where it ended was like, oh, I'm still straight, but she's absolutely my girl crush. And so I was taking on this like persona where 
I feel like people who say that they have girl crushes, it's like either a straight girl who wants to seem like quirky because like having a girl crush is like obviously just uh, conforming to the male gaze that like it's quirky of whim- for women to have crushes on other women. Mm-hmm. Or in my case, obviously, which it was a little bit of that because I was like, yeah, no, like I'm straight and I'm a woman and like I would totally make out with this woman, but like just for fun. Right. Because <laughs> um, like eh. <laughs> just I'm like fun. quirky or whatever. Or in my case, predominantly, it's literally just a crush and I was incredibly um, hindered by internalized homophobia. I don't know what this has to do with what I just said, but, like, I think that, like, the distinction between finding somebody attractive and, like, thinking that they're hot and actually being sexually attracted to them or... Romantically. Romantically attracted to them, yeah, is completely... They're they're two different things. I think that, like, short of comparing two situations, because I don't... That's not what I want to do. Um... Like, I was absolutely in the position, like, in high school where I, where that was me. I was like, I am definitely straight and I am only attracted to Kate Winslet. But it was, I wasn't even at the point where I was like, I am attracted to her even. I was, I was so shrouded by internalized homophobia that, like, I wasn't even admitting to the fact that. I was sexually or romantically attracted to her. And that also felt like a very safe place to do that because obviously she's unattainable. And so that like was just shrouding the attraction that I felt to girls in my, in, in real life. Like I couldn't even allow myself to lean into that in a fantastic, in a fantastical way let alone like in a, in a real way in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's definitely where I started. I was like, she's the only woman I'm attracted to. And I really couldn't see myself like I'm attracted to any other woman. And then once I started to break down like this internalized homophobia, that was when I started to accept the fact that like, it wasn't just one woman it's always been more than it's always been every woman but like yeah I was so I I don't know I feel like I was I was I enjoyed living in like the reality of being a straight woman who was like able to admit that it's kind of like with guys like you know how we're kind of like oh it's like attractive if men can admit that other men are attractive because like right. it kind of like gets it breaks down any like shroud any any like um curtain of like toxic masculinity or anything Mm -hmm. that would like make them unattractive like if they were but that was like where I was at but it was like I thought that I was like quirky because I could say that I would be with this one woman but it was just this one woman you know right Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah it does and I think that like using the language that you use around this like like you were saying before there's a difference between thinking somebody's hot versus being romantically and or sexually attracted to them um and so like to the listener that asked this question like I think it's important to maybe take a look at that especially when you're talking to your friend about this 
Because that could be the exact mixed signal that she's getting. If you're saying you're attracted to somebody, like maybe mm-hmm. saying that, like, oh, you think she's really beautiful. Like she's, Shailene Anderson's so fucking hot, but that doesn't, I'm not attracted to her. And so yeah. I think maybe specifying that, or if you are, then that's good to take a look at. Yeah. I think that that summarizes it very well. And I think, I think asking for clarity from your friend is the most important thing that you can do because in my personal experience I like with with us before we knew each other very very well I never for even a second was um confused about your how you were presenting your sexuality ever like I was never and I never felt like once I found out that you were straight that you had like cross any boundaries before that like you never muddied the water you never tried to make it seem like it was ambiguous whereas with some other people I have definitely felt that way yeah um and that feels like a huge violation um so again yeah just asking for clarity and working that through with your friend it makes me really happy that you say that you were never confused and you didn't feel like I crossed any boundaries like, at the beginning of our friendship. But there was, we have had conversations where, um, where like I was getting, there was a time where I was getting curious cats asking if I would ever date a woman or like, oh my God, no way you're actually straight if you have a Jillian Anderson Stan account. And I j- was just going to ignore them. And I was talking to you about how those were irritating me or just like, I wasn't sure what to do about them. And you expressed, you're like, hey, I think it's really important to not remain ambiguous about that because it might seem like you're like sexuality is not a trend. Um, And so while um, like my sexuality is my business and I don't owe anybody any kind of explanation, like I think it's important for you to be clear about that. If you are in a space that's primarily for queer people, because you don't want to be ambiguous or performative in a space that I feel like I am lucky to be welcomed into. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's a really good way to put it. Um, and so, again, this is a much broader topic. Like, we aren't accusing you of doing this, listener, because we obviously don't know what your internet – we don't know who you are, so we don't know what your internet um, interactions and um, posting things are like. But, like, just the use of saying attracted um, prompted this discussion because I feel like that's a really common thing, especially in Stan Twitter, to where it's, like, you don't owe anybody what your sexuality is, but if you find yourself – talking in a certain way because you think it's trendy um maybe take a look at that do you want to get into the episode yes let's get into the episode so this is paperclip it is i was just about to say i don't know what episode but i do know it's the second episode (laughs) the third season i always get this one and paper hearts mixed up they're like the same episode in my head so i saw paperclip (laughs) and i was like wait a second, that happens now? (laughs) But um, we're not. We're still in season three. Um, So we open with Albert again. Um, And he's got a great voice, don't get me wrong. But I realize at this point that I'm really tired of Chris Carter's like contrived indigenous chronicle. Yeah that he's written like he's literally the whitest man to exist ever and i don't like that 
we're being forced to listen to uh, the words that he's written. And these words are all about the traditions and culture of Native American people. Um, yeah. And like not only trying to um, not only trying to insert that into a narrative about um, and insert that into this narrative, but also trying to recount like the torture and trauma that they've been through and and mold that into a lesson for white people yeah it's it's just it's really wrong and it's like also the fact that this is combined with christian symbolism and Mulder being compared to the fucking jesus um is so wrong it's very wrong and it's also like the trauma of indigenous people is not meant to be a teaching moment for white people even if like you're spinning it so that it like it, it this like looks like a celebration and this looks like an honoring on the surface and then like when you realize that he's actually using like the the decades of trauma that white people inflicted on native americans in order to like weave those morals into a storyline about some fucking loser looking for aliens it's like (laughs) the only lesson that white people should learn from this is like genocide and colonialism are bad that's the only lesson that white people should take away from native american history and culture and and all the trauma that they've inflicted on them exactly like because as much as it's really fucked up that they think box molder mr i choose sunflower seeds and drink expired orange juice could be like the new jesus as ridiculous as that is that is better than trying to turn this white journey into one based on native american tradition because those aren't your those aren't your stories to use use the jesus story whatever the i don't give a fuck whatever um, but like th- those aren't your stories to fucking co-opt and create into your own little savior narrative like hello yeah that's yes perfect um so we're seeing some stock photo footage which like mm. i was half expecting like the getty image watermark to <laughs> I know. come across the screen at some point is this where the um, cabs were or was that later yeah this is where like they were showing landscapes and like there were some really cute fucking bears like a little mama bear and her cub it was really cute then we have um albert narrating still explaining the navajo belief in the gila monster he says that it symbolizes the healing powers of the medicine man and in this myth it restores a man by taking all his parts and putting them back together again and i did a lot of deep reflection on this part because i knew that there was a christ reference in there somewhere but like we had to do (laughs) a little we had to do a little digging besties but i figured it out um it's not great (laughs) it's like here's here's the narrative that chris carter's painting it's like we're listening to a story about how Mulder was resurrected from the dead from the earth and gods themselves like he is this creature of divinity and the little bible research right so because i was like somehow this is tied to like the creation story that you learn about in christianity right and so 
stay with me. I'm going to give you a little history lesson. Okay, Sister Emily. If you can call it a history lesson. It's a Bible study, okay? (laughs) So God created the world, if you believe that, quote unquote, for, for his glory, meaning as an image of him, like to glorify him as an ode to mm. the original, like as an ode to him. Seems narcissistic. A little bit. So the materials then through which Mulder is created are divine and sacred and images of Christ because right. nature was created by Christ for his glory, meaning in his image. And Mulder was then crafted out of all of those things in nature. So he was crafted in the image of Christ. Was Scully or no? What do you mean? Like are women also crafted like to be the image of Christ? No, 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 no. I'm saying like God created the, the like, you know, you know, like the creation story, like this, how God no so oh. sorry that's why i'm asking questions because i oh okay no my grandmother's fucking pagan she said um we're gonna do winter solstice and you're gonna cast a circle bitch she did i, I didn't learn about any of this so i find oh. it really interesting okay so like, i know a little bit about the adam and eve story because i because st- we like it's there's constantly biblical allusions in like classic literature and so i have an right. english degree so i know a little bit but like i i don't really know how it so, all plays out basically there's like two creation stories one is like the big bang which is typically reserved for like the like scientific idea of the creation story of how this like how the world came to be Mm -hmm. um and then there's like the creation story these are like the two most commonly like ones that are commonly used ones that are put back to back and then there's like the biblical one which is that god like create spent like i don't know 10 fucking i don't know 7 days or something like creating something new each day so like on the first day he created like water and then on the second day he created like all the mammals and then on the third Mm -hmm. day he like so all of these things that chris carter is writing that Mulder was like crafted out of were created by christ i mean chris carter is a christian so i'm presuming he believes in this biblical creation story right Oh, so in this, I really zoned out for this whole beginning monologue because none of it made sense to me. So like by him saying that all the things like of nature that Mold is crafted out of is his way of being like he's divine. I mean, I don't know if that was his intention, but that's absolutely the way that it, it, a a way that it can be analyzed. It's the way that I'm analyzing it. Ew. So it was like in, in Christ's image that he created all of those perfectly divine things in nature and on the earth as like an ode to him and so the suggestion that Mulder was then created out of these objects of divinity and therefore christ-like is again he sticks his fingers in evidence and puts it in his mouth like that's your christ it's embarrassing so albert goes on to say that another native another group of native americans told them that a great event had happened when Mulder healed that a white buffalo was born and that this was significant because of the myth of the white buffalo woman um so this myth stated that she a woman came down from the heavens to teach the indians albert says how to lead virtuous lives and how to pray to the creator she told the people she would return one day and then she'd turn into a white buffalo and ascended into the clouds. So this is her return and it's a powerful omen suggesting great changes are coming. 
fun fact, uh, the white buffalo is not traditionally spiritually important to the Navajo. Um, and Chris Carter knew that. And he did it anyways. So why did he pick that? What the fuck? You ready for this explanation? Oh, is, is this the quote? Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. He said, quote, I used that Native American bit of lore and belief in the episode, even though it wasn't Navajo. And most... <clears throat> and mostly the episode reflects Navajo mythology, but I used it because I thought it was so powerful that all Native Americans might believe it, and it ended up infusing the episode with potent and with potential. What? Basically him talking circles around the fact that he knows that he just, like, assumed that all Native Americans believe the same thing, but then suggesting that, like, it was okay that he uh that he assumed that because like it worked really well for his metaphor what a fucking pathetic little man i know and it's just like the complete and utter refusal to see people of color as like uniquely individual yeah um (laughs) instead of like viewing them for your own convenience and pretending that they're all the same and they believe all the same things Mm -hmm. and then also it's just like the clear refusal to take any input from any navajos at all stupid like it would have taken i mean not that this show is great with like you know having writers that have a a wide range of experiences but yeah to then inform your writing but whatever no they said we're gonna hire 12 white men because that covers all bases right yeah just limits your storytelling like it's it's bites yourself in the ass so after the opening sequence where where we left off in the last episode um which is back with scully and skinner at Mulder's apartment with their guns drawn on each other and some mystery person lurking outside the door um scully thinks she's being set up and that skinner's gonna kill her in compliance with what the one baddie told her old <laughs> white asshole number whatever (laughs) um and then Mulder busts through the door and scully she has an orgasm (laughs) literally comes like harder than maybe i've ever maybe (laughs) harder than i think maybe in her entire life yeah she's visibly throbbing when he walks in especially after he asks her if she's okay like immediately I really, I too, along with Scully, struggled with this scene. Um, and it's just like, if he doesn't enter a room and immediately upon seeing you have your gun drawn on someone, draw his gun and point it at the dude with you, I don't want it. <laughs> it's love. If that's love. Can I talk about his neck for a second? You don't have to ask. Go for it. Thank you. So... Oh, I don't have more just than the fact that it's really doing it for me. He, all of this scene, like, when Emily was watching it, she was like, you're going to have a hard time with this. And boy, were you right. And it just, like, I went on a little rant in my notes where I said, remember when you first introduced me to neck thirsting? Mm -hmm. Because I, because a big thing about becoming friends with with you, with Emily, um, and starting this podcast has been me kind of, like, discovering my own desire um not to get serious for a second but like since I experienced a major trauma so young I literally had no idea 
what I wanted or even liked. Um, and seeing you stand so confidently and beautifully in your own desire made me feel safe enough to start doing that as well. So believe it or not, listeners, thirsting is an act of healing for me. So thank you, Emily. And thank you all for letting me talk about Mulder's neck muscles so much. Me like squealing over his like Adam's apple movie when he talks, that's self-love. My therapist approves. That's really sweet. That makes me happy. Thank you for giving me the space to do that. Yeah, I'm very happy that we both share in our love of um, like particularly good necks. Ooh. Because like necks are neat. You know what I mean? Necks are neat. <laughs> That's the name of the episode. <laughs> Took this from Veep. It's really funny. When she, when she gets a haircut, when she cuts her hair short, she's like, I never knew I had so much neck. And then Ben is like, yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, hey, necks are neat. <laughs> um, Wait, well, it is. And like him, when he said, give her the tape. <laughs> yeah, it's it's rough. I know. It's rough. Like, I don't even care about his hair anymore at this point. Like, uh, <laughs> no, it's lost on me because I'm just staring at his veiny neck. Thick neck. Th- um. <laughs> No, he has a great neck. And you know who also has a great neck? Who? My favorite lay dollar bean. I can't even say her name. I'm getting so flustered. Bet Porter from The L Word, played by Miss Jennifer Beals. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, unfortunately, I'm sorry, is the straightest woman alive. Yeah, I'm sorry for you about that. It's okay. It was, we were in a smoothie shop when we were um, on our road trip and Emily found an article that was like, Jennifer Beals opens up about her sexuality and she was so excited. And then it was just her saying, yeah, I'm so straight, so straight. And what mean clickbait. I watched my friend get so excited and then I watched her heart break all in the span of like five seconds. Because like it was such clickbait and also... What was the reason she gave? She was like, I listen I to like the top, top 40, 40 playlist. playlist. Okay, like, ma'am. Maybe weird. she is really straight because I don't know what the significance of that is. <laughs> Anyways, next. Next or neat. So Skinner finally gives Scully the gun after they're like, you know, arguing. If you don't watch the screen, it sounds like something else entirely is happening. I know. Um, well, also... Do you think that the three of them ever talked about this? Like, how do they keep working together after that? What a That's weird a very interaction good question. to move forward from. I think, like, Skinner kind of just was, like, that was really embarrassing, and I want them to know that I'm on their side. So I just, like, I'm not going to talk about it any- ever again, but I'm going to prove through my actions that I am on their side, which he does in the episode. That's what I would say. He does, but I love that Scully always is like, no, Skinner's sus. Scully's always the first person to be like, no, fuck Skinner, he's dirty. Every time. Seriously. So, yeah, Skinner gives Scully his gun. Mulder asks what happened, and Scully's like, I was warned someone I trust was going to kill me. And Mulder's like, LOL, not on my watch, babe. And it's like, this is totally their Bonnie and Clyde moment. Like, imagine if they had just killed Skinner, taken the tape, and then went on the run together. Like, that would have been really hot. I literally wrote just kiss, losers. Like, this was the time. I was fully 
ready, which I told you earlier, like for some like total 1940s Catherine Hepburn style, like the Philadelphia story, dramatic kiss where like melt into each other. Yeah. They just like run or like fast paced walk to each other and like just melt into each like, other. The 1940s like kiss is like the woman's neck goes limp. <laughs> hmm. Every Total, time. Her whole body like, goes limp. Yeah. And then they just like hold her up and then they just like mush. Mm-hmm. It's hot. It's really hot. Yeah. And that's what they deserved in this moment. You're so right. Mm-hmm. So Skinner shows them the tape and he says that he wants answers. Mulder's in his petty era because he's like, well, you should ask your cigarette smoking friend uh, for answers because he killed my father and he killed me, but I'm back actual line written in the show <laughs> uh, he said that and i i said no he didn't <laughs> so Mulder tells skinner what's on the tape yada 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 government's global conspiracy of silence about the existence of aliens whatever <laughs> skinner's like uh, so Mulder wants the tape and skinner's like nah stays with me because it's the only leverage we have to bring these men to justice and like that's cute that he thinks that, like, these white men will be brought to justice. I know. It's cute. Oh, babe. <laughs> so Mulder says, well, skin man, you better not lose it because we've got shit to do. And then he's like, let's go, Scully. And they leave. She and says they- where when he says let's go? Like she just came down from the most magical orgasm. She's like, I'm not going to imitate it, but. <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> She, it was like they, it was very, I'm sure, reminiscent of them on the run and, you know, they're in the car participating in some sexy times and like Mulder thinks that, or Scully thinks that someone's watching them or something and Mulder's like, okay, we have to go. And she's like, where? Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Listen to that scenario and then go listen to Scully say where. Go right now. We'll wait. We won't go anywhere shoo yeah they go out into the hall their favorite place (laughs) and Mulder literally leaves his own apartment with no door because he busted it open so like I know he was just like fuck my apartment I guess he's like I'm with Scully nothing matters he's like material possessions don't matter when I'm with you babe so she follows him out to the hallway and she is so smitten and she's so fucking happy that he's alive and that he's back and that he's standing right in front of her. She's like, this is the best sign of my life. This is better than any sex I've ever had with any man ever. And he hasn't even touched me. And it occurred to me while I was watching that she's totally giving him um, the look she gives him in Arcadia when he jokes about christening their fake home. It's her like... I'm truly bursting at the seams because of how excited I am to spend time with you and be near you. And I'm in love with you, but that's my business look. And he spends his entire life trying to make it his business. Shouldn't that be on a greeting card? That's good. Yeah, that would be a good greeting card. (laughs) Word for word. Yeah. So Um, Mulder and Scully were in the house. So Mulder and Scully were trying to fake christen their fake house. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) So Mulder thinks Scully is about to confess her love for him. And so he cuts her off. But then she's like, I went to your father's funeral. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, it's not what I thought you were going to say. 
but then she does confess her love in her own way and she says she just knew that he was gonna be okay i mean her trusting a hunch over scientific evidence is her way of professing her love totally i know um so we cut to maggie scully and she's rushing in the hospital because i just remembered that they shot melissa scully so all the joy from that previous moment has been sucker punched out of me um maggie thinks obviously that dana's been hurt but she's literally floored when the doctor says it's melissa so they tell maggie they've induced coma to nurse the brain trauma she sustained from the shot and understandably maggie is fucking distraught so it's so fucked that they prolong melissa's death and like give you hope that she's gonna live through it i completely forgot that they did that it's it's just kind of fucked because it's like the purpose of including that in the plot was just so that there was like the suspense of will scully make it to her to say goodbye in time or won't she mm-hmm. right like that was the only suspense that it was only included for that suspense factor yeah and it's just like watching maggie be in this scenario where she like her one daughter is on the verge of death she doesn't know where her other daughter is and if she's safe she's made me realize that like specifically maggie and melissa are perfect embodiments of like consistent horrific female collateral damage like Mm -hmm. they like because most of the collateral damage to Mulder's journey is women um there's an informant or two but that totally pales in comparison to the dozens and dozens of women whose lives are completely ruined by this conspiracy that supposedly molders destined journey to uncover um and like i think this is truly the only argument you need against this being a feminist show absolutely that's all you need um because the x-files chronicles a male journey with female collateral damage that's literally that sums it up and i was thinking like even in season nine when Mulder isn't there scully still doesn't fully have agency over investigating all the things that happened to her because her male child usurps her agency completely yeah so we cut back to the lone gunman with Mulder and Scully. They're looking at the picture of Mulder's father with all of these old white assholes. Byers tells them about Operation Paperclip, where the U.S. government provided safe haven for certain Nazi war criminals in exchange for their scientific knowledge, which actually happened in the United States. No one's surprised. So the lone gunman recognized recognized one man who was one of those nazis and despite his experimentation on jews during the holocaust he helped america win the space race after they provided him with a safe haven um which was a literal arms race to see which country had a bigger dick it's cute of us so the lone gunman point out that it's weird because the photograph was taken in 1973, but the operation supposedly ended in the 50s, suggesting that they continued the operation, providing safe haven for Nazis so that they could continue to make and utilize scientific advancements. And we later learn that they were employing the same atrocities in order to conduct this research that they performed in the Holocaust. Um, fueled by all of these white men. Farohiki comes out of his little lair and there's a cheeky little porn joke before he tells Scully her sister's in critical condition in the hospital. <laughs> you got priorities, man. Yeah. So of she of course leaves to go see her, but Mulder stops her because he knows that if they want to kill Scully still, that that will be the first place that they look. 
And this whole scene is so fucked because Scully literally says that she knows that that bullet was meant for her. And it's like, I don't know why, but I'm just consistently completely shocked by this choice and story. I know. Like every time that I forget that they were, they meant to kill Scully, but they just oopsie, like oopsie daisied and killed her sister. I am equally shocked every time. The whole premise of this show is Mulder avenging what happened to his sister. So for them to treat another sister completely just like, meh, oops, killed the wrong one. Like when the literal basis of the entire journey is Mulder finding out what happened to his sister. It's just like that. Of course, that makes no sense. Yeah. So we're back with all these old white men in New York and they're all kind of pissed off at cigarette smoking man because he's so incompetent just kill him and yeah they're unsure about Mulder's state of being they don't know if he's alive or if he's dead um a cigarette smoking man won't show them the tape despite the fact that he claims that he has it and they're mad about an innocent woman being killed even though that's their whole thing like considering they protected men who killed innocent people in the cruelest way Um, Yeah, they're literally only mad about it because it means that they might be outed. Exactly. So it's frustrating because at this point, like, you think that this situation reads as, like, this is Chris Carter's way of saying this didn't need to happen and trying to express the cruelty and carelessness and the gravity of that to the audience. But, like, he failed big time. Mm -hmm. You think that that's what's happening. I'm happy that that wasn't the last but like, or the only, but like, it's pretty close to the only recognition that that was wrong that we have in the series. That's not Um, from Scully herself. I was going to say that's not from Scully. Like the only other moment is in Piper Maru, which I'm happy that we have because that moment is literally everything to me. Mulder and Scully go to see Klemper, one of the Nazis that the lone gunman recognized from the photo. Um, he's in his greenhouse and, uh uh-oh, Scully's hair is going to get very, very frizzy and curly. I know. Today's the best day for me. (laughs) Um, so this old bitty starts talking about how he thinks it's bullshit. He won't be remembered as one of the great scientists and Scully fucking grills him and is like, babe, you're a monster. And it's really hot because They just came to get information out of him, but Scully's like, no, I will not pretend that you are not absolutely atrocious, and I will not leave until I make make him confront the war crimes he's not been held up accountable for. And That's hot girl shit. That's my wife, you know? Mm -hmm. Scully said I will make him feel bad in my own way since the justice system won't. So Mulder's yelling at him to tell him the truth. He asks Mulder if he knows the formula of Napier's constant, to which Scully enthusiastically says yes. Again, hot. He said he tells him that the photograph of Mulder's father was taken at the Strughold Mining Company in West Virginia, and he's like, "That's it, though." Mulder's oversized shirt looks so good. I didn't even notice. Oh my god, his oversized shirt. I feel like you with like Scully's outfits, but like it was like a blue, like I couldn't tell if it was denim, but like it was like a blue oversized shirt that's like kind of like almost like almost a French tuck, but not. 
um the way that mm. it was like kind of tucked in um okay. and like but in like jeans with like hiker boots wow Mulder mm. in an oversized like button down with jeans sign me up I love that for you thank you so they leave um but not before Scully stares him down and like <sighs> this woman has me so whipped that's okay I'm happy I'm happy where I am you know happily whipped happily whipped that's me oh my god the fucking cars i know so of course clumper calls one of these old white men in this syndicate or whatever it's called um to tell them that Mulder's alive so they're like well cigarette smoking man is a dumbass so we're gonna take care of it mm-hmm. we're back with maggie at the hospital then and scully's sent albert to be there um which Which is is so sweet sweet and so cute because like she knew melissa would fuck with his whole energy oh yeah and i yeah it's just really sweet and i feel like melissa would have been honored to meet someone like albert oh my god absolutely so that's really sweet so he prays over her and he tells maggie that even though the doctors are telling her that that she's getting better he senses that she's very very weak and I'm just now realizing, like, how fucked it is that we don't see more of Albert's face. Like, he came into the um, mm-hmm. hospital room smiling, and, like, he has such a nice face. It's so, like, warm and welcoming. But it's, like, he's been used by Chris Carter as some, like, faceless voice of Native American tradition, which is, like, so <sighs> disembodying. Oh, my God. That's the exact way to articulate it. So Mulder and Scully go to the location Clumper gave them, and it's a giant mining warehouse, abandoned mining warehouse, and there's all these doors with codes, like key card, key pad thingies on them, and they try the number that's the basis of all natural logarithms, Napier's constant, because Scully is so smart. So Scully unlocks one, and before Mulder can go in, Scully's like, wait, I'm worried about you. You haven't had enough time to process what's happened. And I wouldn't want you to see something that tarnishes the man that you thought your father was once we get inside. And then she literally says, I know how it would affect me. And before that, I said, like, it's cute, but not everyone has daddy issues, Scully. (laughs) And then she just outed herself. She's like, well, I have daddy issues. So if you don't, like, then sure, go ahead. Like, I know how it would affect me. So I just want to say that. So Mulder goes in anyways. He's like, I don't have daddy issues, babe. She's like, well, I'll see you in there. Okay. She's like, okay. (laughs) I didn't used to think I did either. So. Yeah. So first first step to getting better is admitting you have a problem. So. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Skinner calls cigarette smoking man (laughs) and it's like if you want the tape we have to make a deal and i might maybe have the tape (laughs) i was like watching this moment where skinner and him were like two inches away from each other's faces and it's like you know homeboy has the worst breath i know that close i'm like kiss or punch babe like you got to pick one have i talked about that on here i've told you yes yeah but there's um 
there's something I, I learned in, in college. Um, it, it takes place mostly in, in theater because in film, like you kind of have to be close. But like when, if you get too close to an actor, the audience is going to expect something, something's going to happen. And so my professor would say, kiss or punch. Like if you get, like, oh, you're too close, kiss or punch. And that's how I feel with these men. Yeah, very much so. So <clears throat> we cut back to Mulder and Scully. They're in the mines that were behind the door. And they see that it's like millions of medical files stored away in filing cabinets. They're all alphabetized by name. So there's a moment where they walk in and they think that it's just like, you know, a couple filing cabinets, right? And then Mulder right. turns on a light and realizes that it's like millions of, of records. Yeah. Which prompts him to say, lots of files. To which Scully says lots and lots of files. And at the time that I watched this, I was like, there's something really suggestive and like very sexy of them saying, having a similar exchange, but in a different moment. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't think of it in the time. So, you know, I went through the rest of the episode and I came back and I did come up with something. Thank God. Tell me. Okay. So the thing is, is that um, Mulder and Scully on the run, vibes today so they're on the run right they're having some very chatty sex it's like very slow very connected as completely as two bodies can be (laughs) scully says you know when we first started working together i thought i could have lots of babies with him and then Mulder would be like lots of babies huh and she would just go lots and lots of them all right you're cut off i'm sorry she would kind of like flutter her eyes and like kind of do like like roll them, you know. I can already see roll. it. Yes. You know, her hair would be swaying. Anyways, where were we? Scully says that they're just standard medical forms in the files and they go to find 1964, which was the year that Scully was born. And she's in there and her file has a recent tissue sample attached to it. So everything's like very fast and they're just moving from one thing to the next here. And they quickly abandon Scully's file and they go to find Samantha's file. And of course it's there. But for some reason, someone put Samantha's name over Mulder's name. So it's actually Mulder's file. Like it was originally going to be Mulder's file. And then it was decided that it was Samantha's file. So like they were going to sacrifice Mulder. And then... They changed their mind. This is news to me. Yeah. Oh my god. God damn it. Also, um, I didn't realize that Scully was only a year older than Samantha. Scully is only a year older than Samantha. Yeah, her year is sixty-five. And then, in a lot of ways, Scully becomes like the victim of the conspiracy, and Mulder takes it upon himself to be her savior and like blames himself for her trauma, rightly so in the case of Scully, but like not rightly so in, with Samantha. And so like Scully parallels Samantha in a lot of ways, and I don't, I don't know what that means, and I don't know if I want to think about it too much because like they fuck, you know? Yeah, that's also what I came to the conclusion. That's also the conclusion that I came to at the end of this episode because. In the last episode, remember how I talked about how, like, Melissa's best parts were, like, kind of Mulder's best parts, right? That Scully comes to love a lot. There's a lot of parallels between Mulder and Melissa and Scully and Samantha. Yeah. 
<laughs> I and I don't, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't think we should go into it. I think we should just leave okay, it. Let's at move that. on. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's fine. Let's move on. That's news to me. Thank you for clearing that piece of plot up because I yeah. genuinely was just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> let's keep going. Mulder can't figure out why. And before they can kind of talk it out, someone is there. And wow, great note. <laughs> they see somebody outside. Mulder goes to check and he leaves Scully inside without telling her where he's going. Communication. And then a, and then a bunch of tiny aliens nearly trample Scully. I don't like, I hate the music that they play when that happens. Hate I don't it. like their hate like the voices. Yeah. And she follows them and she sees one like in the doorway lit by this bright light behind it. So weird. And it's just so silly because it's like, <laughs> you would think that like they would talk about that, right? Like what Scully saw. Yeah. But they don't on screen. No. They never just, di- and then, that's so true. They literally never discuss all these little baby aliens <laughs> running around. And then like, and then like the next episode, they're fucking investigating Jack Black. So like they don't talk about it in the next episode. What the fuck? So Scully knew that aliens... Uh, my my headcanon is that Scully actually believed everything, but she just wanted to keep being with Mulder. I mean, that's the best way to look at it, because <laughs> otherwise, why does she continue... Like, why does she continue to not believe things after so long? So Scully almost gets trampled by aliens. <laughs> right. And outside, we see Mulder. There's a great shot of him looking out over... Um, like this railing um, and this light from a spaceship on outside, like silhouetting him. Yeah. It's very cool. This episode is great vibes. Oh yeah. Um, Visually fantastic. Yeah. And we, is it a spaceship? Is it not a spaceship? It's a bright light. Mulder runs outside to see it. And yes, it is a spaceship and it, you know, zooms off into the distance. So all so, the little alien guys are just late. They're like, oh shit, it's taken off. We gotta go. Literally. And what if one of them was like, thought that Scully was one of them and they were just like, come on, we're gonna miss them. She's like, okay. <laughs> and that's how Scully was abducted part two. But then all these like cars roll up with men and guns and Mulder sprints back inside to get Scully. They're shooting at him. And like, there are at least 20 men with like fully automatic rifles right yeah they can shoot out rounds like that Mm -hmm. okay Mulder's a large man he's a large moving they're literally using him for target practice yeah and they miss they don't even hit him once I know and so it's like if that didn't give this man the uh understanding that like he is clearly meant to be alive for something I don't know what will. Yeah. And that something is to sleep with Scully. Yes. This whole scene is so fucking dramatic. It's like all of a sudden we're in the middle of like an action thriller. And then they just go out the back door and bye. It escalated escalated and de-escalated very quickly. Yeah. It felt like I was like out of breath by the end. Scully's just like, oh my God, I know a way out. And they're just kind of like casually jogging out the back door. They're like, Okay. (laughs) So, yeah, they get out through the back way, and the next day we're with them in Crager, Maryland, where Skinner meets them in a diner. Mulder tells Skinner that 
they were chased by men who were in CIA fleet vans or what looked like CIA fleet vans. It's just suddenly occurring to me that him and Scully look like they had mm. really bad sex in the car, like before they're now in this diner. Yeah. And it was really, really bad, but like they're still in love and neither of them know what to say. That is exactly the vibe that this scene has. Like I wrote, I was like, so this happened last night and now it's morning. What happened in between? That's what I'd like to see. Also random, yeah. but like I hate that they always have Scully eating a salad and Mulder have a full meal anytime they show them. I made the exact same note Bullshit. every single time. And it's not even good lettuce, like no. lettuce that's good for it's you. It's the lettuce that's like 90% water. Yeah. It's like those like shitty side salads that you get at diners. Like you that's not a meal. Scully eats, okay. We saw with the e. ribs. The only yep. time we were allowed to see her eat. So Skinner tells Mulder and Scully that he can negotiate a deal that would guarantee their safety. And the deal is to hand over the tapes in exchange for their safety and their reinstatement. And Mulder's like, no, heart. <laughs> and Scully tells him, Scully tells Skinner what they found. And Mulder thinks the answer as to why they were there is on the tapes, all of those medical records. And Mulder's like, I need to know what happened to my dad, my sister, and Scully. And unfortunately, Scully, like most women, it is the right choice, but there is a part of her that is being forced to give up the truth of what happened to her immediately and justice mm -hmm. for herself and punishment for the men who harmed her because, like, that's not what would be convenient, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's like it is for the best that they give up the tape but like the answer to what happened to her is on that tape yeah and it's like she, so it's like she's able to separate and be like well what good is that going to be if we have no way to actually bring this to justice if we just know but yeah like the whole point is like scully is is capable of giving the tape up for the betterment of the public and she knows that there are answers beyond the tape obviously because that's what they just fucking saw in yeah. that mining warehouse. Um, even though the tape would likely give her the answer of what happened to her. Um, and that's the difference between Mulder and Scully. Mm -hmm. um, but when Mulder says that he needs the tape because he needs to find out who killed his father and what happened to Samantha. And there's like a slight pause. And then he's like, and what happened to Agent Scully? Scully has another orgasm. This is just like her <laughs> wet dream come to life. Yeah. Um, it's like the it's like I don't I don't need a man to save me, but like I want Mulder to save me. That's that's Dana Scully's mm -hmm. MO. It's like I don't need a man to, but it feels good to have a man want to. Especially when he looks like him. In jeans. And with a five o'clock shadow, something about a five o'clock shadow, I, you know, like, like Superman, like nothing can stop him. Like, but kryptonite, like that's my kryptonite. <laughs> Other than that, totally good. Nothing can stop me. That's really funny. No weaknesses in sight. My ability to succeed in just on facial hair. Yours is bangs. My I was going to say, yeah. So Scully's basically like, I love you. And I wish I could tell you what I want to do to you right now, but... But fucking Skinner's here. 
Skinner's here and also we're operating so far outside the law. We've given up on the very notion of justice. And if we're going to be hunted down like this, it's not worth it. And we should take the deal. I think the subtext of her saying that is her being like, I would love to take a bath in my own tub right now. Yeah, this Dana Scully isn't quite uh, nomadic enough to give up everything in her. She hasn't lost enough yet to give everything up. Give it a few seasons. Yeah. Um, Like this Dana Scully absolutely is still so present in her mind and isn't crippled by trauma quite yet to the point where she will take a bath in a dirty motel tub she'll get she gets there though you know and and that's growth that's growth (laughs) her mental health becomes so crippled by trauma she will take a bath in a dirty motel tub it says all you need to know yeah about how broken dana scully becomes (laughs) it's really sad Mulder says, what makes you think there's any... Hello? So Mulder says to Scully, what makes you think there's such a thing as justice? It's like, this line bothers me because even if she's talking about justice just for herself, to know what happened to her, that's valid. Yeah. I mean, that's justice. At this point. Yeah. Exactly. Scully is like very aware of the failings of the justice system and like I'm sure she's seen it fail women and marginalized people her entire life. I feel like she kind of came into the FBI having faith in the justice system and then there was a really palpable moment in season one. I can't remember what episode it was but remember it's when she's sitting outside the office she has like a short skirt on so that you get like a yes. shot. yeah that yeah i feel like that was the first time she was really disillusioned by the justice system and it's just kind of been like a downhill spiral from this point on that point on i i agree and i think um she's a little girl bossy in the sense that like she had faith in the justice system yeah um and i think that it's also girl bossy because she's like extra mad that it like even failed for her like a white fbi agent which is like a little girl bossy but like that's okay (laughs) so then scully responds and says then what good are those answers to anyone but you Mulder?" and it's just like that's just the that's just the line that was the perfect point like that she couldn't have said a better line in that moment yeah um because at a certain point like there is a shift, right? Like where Mulder somehow becomes um, more interested in finding out the details of about this conspiracy within his family than he does about um, exposing the existence of um, conspiracy and lies and deception within the government Mm -hmm. to the public. Yeah. Um, But I think we should talk about the tape for a bit. Because people said that this, you, you were telling me about this, that people said that this episode was better than um, The Blessing Way. Mm-hmm. It was like an opener. I agree. But the, ish- the thing with the tape is like, we never actually find out what's on the tape. It just kind of like evaporates into thin air. That's kind of like the ammo of the show. Like a larger conspiracy hidden and disguised by a smaller... A, a still potent but smaller conspiracy yeah 
putting the illusion over like that mining warehouse mm-hmm. of files. Yeah. And so like we briefly talked about a little bit ago is like ultimately I think that that's why Scully's story is so much more interesting because while she has the personal attachment to the truth and to exposing what these men do and how easily they kill and all of that through her own abduction and through obviously Melissa's death she's still explicitly committed to the exposure of these lies and deceptions to the public Mm -hmm. because she realizes like that is the only justice those harmed by these men will get is the exposure um and i think we see like a little bit of her belief in that when she's talking to clemper and basically just talking about how history is the only form of justice that Mm. you'll get yeah that's true um and i don't think that like Mulder has that foresight like i think that he wants Mm -hmm. to see these men like pay like i think he wants revenge and scully's like that doesn't exist so as much as like Mulder thinks that she's naive for thinking like that justice exists like he's naive for thinking that like he can have his like superhero revenge story once he finds out what happened to his family yeah that's a really good point and now that i'm thinking about it it's really interesting that the first few seasons are so focused on exposure being the only justice and then they completely give that up like that completely goes away mm-hmm. well because then it gets wrapped up into like especially once scully gets pregnant it gets wrapped up into um like is her son an alien human hybrid like is he like a chosen one like meant to like totally lead yeah. this alien race and it totally gets away from like the conspiracy of the government harming people which i think was a better storyline because that's what's really palpable because there's truth to it Well, yeah, and that's the thing, like, that's, exactly, and the other issue is, like, which I think is, like, the reason, again, like, Scully's story becomes more palpable is because it's, like, Scully uses the personal attachment that she has to the conspiracy and to the truth to then want to expose that to the public. Mulder uses his sister's abduction to, like, try to find out why she was abducted, and, like, that's the issue, you know? It's, like, Mm -hmm. They, which I've said this a thousand times, but it's like they both needed to be outsiders in the FBI working to uncover this conspiracy for the betterment of everyone and justice for those who were harmed. Not the story, the story should not have even thought about taking the route of being a man trying to find answers about his family with his female sidekick who makes up for the very little knowledge he lacks. But it's like that is, in fact, the story that Chris Carter wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. so it's completely understandable yeah, why it's taking that track that's really interesting because i feel like what hooked people on the show especially in like the this really summed up like the zeitgeist of the 90s because it like embodied this sort of post nixon paranoia um and so i feel like that kind of global conspiracy about the way that the government is actually working against its people is what hooked people on the show and then he just basically allowed that to become a part of like accepted fact like he was like oh yeah 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 women are tested on but we're not really figuring out we're not working on exposing them we're just kind of trying to figure out like are aliens real like how does this affect Mulder like how does it all go back to Mulder yeah and that's the thing and it's like not that women are being experimented on in mass by like the U.S. government but like how can Mulder become the hero of this story as he like tries to uncover what happened to his sister like there definitely is a point like where it switches from being about this conspiracy to being about like what happened to Samantha and like while in the Mm -hmm. beginning 
in the beginning and how does that impact Mulder? Like, and then in the beginning of the series, yeah, like in the beginning of the series, it very much felt like the right track. Like it was like Mulder was traumatized by the fact that his sister was abducted when he was young. And that's what led him to want to um, expose the truth. Right. Yeah. Or like figure out what was happening or like talk about Mm -hmm. what the government was actually doing to its citizens. Yeah. But then it like takes a whole other track and it's like just it it feels like it's just like different episodes being like oh samantha's alive just kidding no she isn't and then like no she is alive but like it's her clone and then it's like just kidding no she actually was never alive like she's actually been dead this whole time yeah and it's like that is really not interesting because it feels like the same narrative of the blessing way which is like is Mulder gonna live or is he gonna die like ultimately no one really cares like we just want to see two people or a person expose the government for the lies and deceptions and conspiracies that they harbor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because that was the original premise. Yeah. And then it just gets ditched for this um, Christ narrative. And so, what? Well, anyways, so back to the tape. It's like Scully recognizes that getting the truth is only half the journey and that you do need justice and like whatever form it comes in. And so it's like, she recognizes that now justice won't come in like the intended form obviously but she's like this is whatever's on that tape is only one truth and based on what they saw she recognizes that like they in order to find the answers which is what she wants at the end she says she knows the truth now she wants the answers they have to be able to work from inside the fbi and like the answers won't they won't be able to find them from outside the FBI. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's why Scully wants to give up the tape. Um, and she's like, if we don't have access to expose them from the inside, then we have nothing because we're essentially loose ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, they, she knows that there's no justice in the intended way because they've already been, they've already lost things that can't be replaced and they've already been traumatized and so the only justice they'll get is in exposing them to the public and then at that point it's like that might kill them but at least people will know and like she recognizes that like she's Mm -hmm. like there's no point in dying for this tape so then Mulder says some bullshit and Scully's like I want exactly what you want and she's like we're on the same team we want the same thing but I can't she's like I can't sacrifice what little I have left for this tape Mm -hmm. and she's like I need to see my sister then they like share this very strange and very bizarre look that feels like it goes on for five minutes I know she's like okay I don't know what that was but like it almost worked so I'm gonna look away now and Mm -hmm. we need to leave it was so intense. I watched it like five times. Just um, trying to figure out what was happening there. Like for once, David was like really bringing it. I don't know what he was bringing, but it was it. Something was there. Can I say what I think was happening? Yeah, which probably please. Was, which probably wasn't happening. But it's like, probably, I, your version is probably better. So like on a, on a, it's no, it's grim. It feels like she's pleading with him to like not put her through what he went through. Because oh my god he lost his sister obviously and like didn't really get a goodbye um 
and it feels like he's pleading with her to feel the same pain as him and she's pleading with him to let her to let her have a last moment with her sister despite the fact that he never did with his oh my god that's so woo that's a lot if that codependency doesn't embody them perfectly i don't know what that's else. so in character for them holy shit it feels like a lot of their relationship is just one of them pleading with the other one to like feel the same pain as them codependent in it yeah and so basically scully's like i've already lost too much and i'm not willing to lose as much as you if i have a choice yeah Mulder like gets mad or whatever and he like leaves and he's like Scully it's your choice which is so passive aggressive like it doesn't really feel like it's her choice yeah I mean she looks literally breathtaking because her lips are all swollen and like she's teary-eyed and her hair's all messy Mm -hmm. um and her skin just looks very taut and all freckly and looks good she should have been better lit Oh, totally. But, like, this backlighting kind of works for me. Okay. Kind of makes her look like an angel. She looks like a painting, I wrote. Yeah, she does. And they did the same thing in the in the greenhouse. Yeah. Right? This is, like, bat, backlit Scully episode. I love it. Mulder leaving after saying that it's up to Scully is kind of fucked because, like, <laughs> yeah. he, knows, he knows what she wants to choose, but he's hoping that, like, this is not giving her any agency he's hoping that like he can guilt her into doing what he wants and like he's trying to play on her conscience and her love for him mm-hmm. um hoping that it will change her mind but luckily she her love for herself is greater so thank god thank god so Mulder walks outside we're back with Mulder. we don't see what scully actually tells skinner she walks out of the diner and she goes up to Mulder and she says that she told Skinner to make the deal but not to hand over the tape until Mulder agreed to it. Which, like, they could have just communicated together at the table, but yeah. I think at this point, like, if they witness each other, have healthy communication, like, they're worried that they'll just fall in love to the point of no return. And honestly, I'm worried for them as well. So maybe it's best that they <laughs> that they can't communicate in front of each other. Scully normally has his back in communicating when he's not there. I was going to say that they both do, but he frequently just ditches her without considering what she's doing all the time. So seeing her, I feel like it's really revealing. In this episode, he did. Yeah. And so I feel like uh, it's really, um, I lost my train. I was looking for it. I thought I wrote it, but I didn't. It's like really revealing that she's like, even though he treats her like shit, she's still like, no, I'm going to like, he deserves to like have the final say. Like, babe, like, it's so kind of you, but, like, you gotta prioritize yourself more. Like, it's like, here's the thing, He's not gonna make your dad love you. (laughs) I'm sorry, babe, but he's dead. You gotta let it go. Like, things like this, I could just be like, oh, that's just Chris Carter being, like, you know, and thinking that, like, you know, a woman shouldn't make any decision without consulting a man first, or that she wouldn't even have the, like she wouldn't even have a mindset where she would think that she could make a decision on her own that like impacted somebody else when actually I think women are better at making decisions that impact people other more than herself Mm -hmm. than men are but I like to imagine that this is actually a character flaw of Dana Scully yeah well it's a relatable one 
it's a relatable one. Um, and also like her love is just so for him is just so great. Like it's just so um incredible and like in every single way. So for this, it's like, I don't know that this necessarily read as like, I don't really feel like I'm capable. I don't want to make the wrong decision. So I wanted to make sure maybe it is that maybe it is like after the blessing way, she's like, I already feel like I disappointed my dad enough. So to avoid doing that again, I told him I met him halfway, but I did tell him that I don't want him to give the tape until you say it's okay. Maybe. You know, and if that's all that she can do right now, that's okay. That's very okay. But also it does feel a little bit like she's like, I know I'm capable of making this decision, but I really do want this to be something that we both decide because it affects both of us. It feels more like that, but, you know, undertones of daddy issues supersede or interject themselves in, in every issue, so. Don't they? I think that we say daddy issues at least once every episode. I think we do too because like the more evolved Dana Scully gets and like fuck it Mulder has daddy issues too the more evolved they get the more they manifest yeah like what was it Olivia on Tumblr who talked about problematic daddies of the X-Files like that is the that is a um, stronger and more consistent thread than the actual mythology is absolutely also it was also Olivia on Tumblr who said that um who pointed out the similarity between Scully and Melissa and the similarity between how Mulder treats Oh, did she really? Scully. Remember I read that thing to you? Oh, I didn't know that's who said it. Yes, that's who said it. She said, okay, ready for this, listeners? Go follow Olivia on Tumblr. It's, What's her user? Her username is like a an O with like six sixes, I think. But we'll double check and we'll put it on our social media. But... Um, she literally said that in the pilot, that's such a parallel, um, of Mulder and Samantha and Mulder and Scully. Mulder and Scully are a parallel to how Mulder was with Samantha likely, Mm -hmm. because it's like, I'm sure that they, him and Samantha stayed up for long nights and Samantha just let him talk about all of these crazy things that he believed and like what he wanted to do with his life and why he wanted to do what he wanted to do and he probably hadn't had that for quite some time since she left and um I make a note of it at the at the end of the episode which is just like how Mulder became the way that he is which seemingly is like the antithesis of how he was raised like once Melissa once Melissa once Samantha was gone yeah anyways olivia was saying was likening pilot scully to samantha and that whole interaction that they have in the motel and then olivia decided to say that yeah scully was literally um the same in the sense that she listened to Mulder and tell us all tell all of his crazy stories and then she grew up to be his wife (laughs) well that gets a revealing in it i think (laughs) a little a little bit but wow, yeah, Olivia's brilliant, and that is accurate. Uh, that's a very accurate description of Dana Scully's plotline. Uh, anyways, let's get back to this episode. <laughs> so, um, we cut back to Melissa, Albert, and Maggie in the hospital. Um, 
Albert says that he's been praying for two days, but he said that he received word that didn't give him hope. And it was regarding the white calf. Um, he says that the buffalo that gave birth to the white calf died, even though her baby survived. Mm -hmm. And he says that this is significant because his father taught him that in order to, in order for something to live, another thing must often be sacrificed. That phrase does make sense with, like, in order to preserve the survival of the patriarchy. Like, I feel like in order for something to live in the patriarchy, a member of a marginalized community must be sacrificed. And, like, in order for those in power to remain in power, those without must continually sacrifice what little power they've been able to obtain. So I think Chris Carter's often applying this to, like, what like a tradition that a native american man has been like taught by his family but it's it rings very true in in terms of like the survival of this patriarchy that we all live in and also like the patriarchy that exists within the show yeah it's like that's not like it's true but not in the way that you're saying and it's almost like yes and it's almost like Mulder is able to continue his journey because women are constantly being abducted and violated and traumatized. Exactly, exactly. So it's like that isn't like a life thing. It's just a quote to justify the problematic aspects of this show. To a certain extent, like even on a more micro level, like Scully continues to suffer so that Mulder may continue yep. his journey. Exactly. <gasps> You're and a genius. Oh my God, my jaw was on the floor the whole time Stevie was explaining that. You are a genius. You make me feel really You're good so when I have wise. a smart moment. Well, because very, I was... You are very wise. Like an old you owl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but because I was... Because that quote bothered me and I was like thinking about it and I was like, that doesn't feel true. Like it, it feels like in order for things to live, you need other things to live. Like, it's kind Absolutely. of like, I was taught when I was little, I don't know how fucking true this is, but it's like, oh, like, I, like, if you don't like spiders, it's like, no, but spiders are necessary to, like, preserve mm -hmm. certain aspects of the ecosystem, and every species has a place in the ecosystem that helps preserve the other aspects of life, right? So it's like- Circle of life. Exactly. Like, have you seen the fucking Lion King? Chris Carter? Also, God damn also, it. That is the only way that I am able to get through any nature documentary where something yeah. is hunting something else. Me too. I just sit there weeping, just like the circle of life. That's something that I hold on to as well. And it's like that. And so for Albert, like a Native American man who, according to the way that Chris Carter has been portraying this tradition, is very in touch with nature and the ebbs and flows of life like what in what world would that be the fucking like you Belief know what system. i mean how, yeah, yeah how does that line up with yeah how does that how does line that up line with up? his other behavior yeah no it, it's just used to justify the sacrifices that he is forcing the marginalized characters of his show to go through to continue the christ analogy from Mulder. Yeah, well, His knowing Chris, story. Yeah, now that we know Chris Carter, um, because up until this point with this episode, I didn't know that he was an asshole. Um, now that we know that he literally um, just took a belief that exists within some Native American cultures and said, "Not even I thought, Navajo." I thought it was so powerful that all Native Americans believed it. Yeah, my guy. Uh, some Republicans <laughs> believed that. Hillary Clinton was running a secret child sex ring out of the basement of a pizza shop. 
How would you like it if I just said every Republican? I thought every Republican believed that. Anyways, that's my thought on that line. That's a great thought. I love it. Also, just like obviously more more obvious is that for people like me, um, is that who don't have big brains? Oh, is up. that shut up? You have the biggest brain. Mulder was saved, so Melissa had to die. So Skinner shows up at the hospital. He's not in his glasses, which is like a new look. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and this is like one of my favorite. I love analyzing the Scully women. I know. Do not. Do not. I'm not. And do not make any suggestive hip gyrations at the mention of Skinner without his glasses on. I Missy, <laughs> I saw it. I saw it. I saw it. <laughs> um. Anyways, I love analyzing the Scully women, right? Because yeah. because they're Scully women. But also the way that Maggie stands up to Skinner and demands an answer if whether to whether or not her daughter is okay um is such a trait of scully womanhood she's like i don't care how tall or how big you are or how much power you think you have you are going to tell me like i am a mother and that reigns supreme over whatever titles you hold that's the energy that both maggie and and eventually scully come to embody and it's It's really hot that's so powerful um yeah, did I say hot? I'm empowerful. I mean, Oopsie. hot as well. You're allowed. Yeah. Hot girl shit. Hot in a hot girl shit way for Maggie. Hot in like a, I literally want that woman to have my children way for Scully. You wouldn't fuck Maggie? No, I mean like I would, I would like, here's the thing, right? Like I would worship Maggie and like I would do anything she wanted me to do if she wanted me to do it, right? Because she's a Scully woman. So therefore, yeah. I'm at, I'm i'm at her i'm at her mercy yeah which same goes for scully but like i know scully i know i know scully i know scully you know what i mean like i know what she likes and so you don't know what maggie likes (laughs) i don't know what maggie likes but like if she were to tell me i'd be like yeah i'm down but like i know what scully likes and i'm more than happy to do that for her so you're saying yes you would fuck maggie scully if she told you what to do is that the answer to the question? Absolutely. Scully, Maggie Scully deserves that. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. I would give Maggie Scully the time of her fucking life. And she deserves happily, it. No happily. fucking way Bill Scully, William Scully, whatever the fuck his name was, gave her a single orgasm. Never. Never. She already looks dewier and happier now that he's gone. <laughs> and good for her. Good for her. Why can I see Maggie being, like, the biggest cougar ever? Like, just, like, after Bill died, like, she went out and found, like, someone who literally looks like Mulder. Like, She 20, probably tells something. Scully, she's like, so is Mulder? What's the deal with that? Maggie tries together? to get with Mulder. <laughs> she's like, what's the deal? Are you guys together? Is he on the market? She's like, mom. Maggie tries to get with Mulder, and that infuriate scully so scully gets with Mulder. thank you maggie and that's that's how that's how you know one the day circle of life when, <laughs> when william is asking them about how they you know got together that's the story he's like well grandma actually wanted well, to bone my mo- your dad no yeah <laughs> and i said not if i get to him first not to- <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good 
Okay, so yeah, I love the Scully women. Maggie, if you're listening, I've extended this to your daughter as well, but you are very pretty, Maggie. <laughs> I need you to know that. <laughs> then the same dude who like walked by Melissa's room earlier um, walks by again. He's being like very suspect, He's and being Albert. Really fucking obvious. Yeah, and Albert's like that man is very um, sketchy. And so Skinner goes after him. There's a battle, and then suddenly there's like three people there, like just beating the shit out of mold out of and Skinner. Crycheck, one of them. And Crycheck is one of them. And of course, he takes the tape out of Skinner's pocket and like fucking great, good job, Skinner. <laughs> you know where? What you know what would have been a good place to put the tape if you didn't want anyone to take it? Up your butthole. Literally between your cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut to um, Southeast Washington. And the bad guys are in the car. The two guys get out of the car. And then Crycheck is like, oh, fuck. This, this bitch is about to blow up. So he gets out of the car. And the car, like, explodes. We cut to Klemper's greenhouse again. Scully looks so beautiful among all these flowers. It's truly breathtaking. Her natural habitat is surrounded by beautiful um, hydrangeas. Only thing that could match her beauty is this is suddenly ASMR. The only thing that could match her beauty is the flowers that she's surrounded by in a greenhouse. And it's still still a tough thing to beat. Oh yeah, Mulder's oh yeah, Mulder's there too. <laughs> I'm a fan of him in jeans, it's all I'll say. Yeah, very valid. So it's I wanna never mind. Okay. So yeah, her and I just same way, shake, you know. Shaking hands, yeah. I mean, yeah, Shaking hands the, man, emoji. the man looks great in jeans. They give him, he, they give his legs the width that he doesn't have a muscle. So obviously when they get there, Klemper's dead. And the original old white asshole is there, which I've come to, someone has informed me that his name is the well-manicured man. Are you kidding? Is that accurate? No. Who informed you? I'm that? just getting that in my ear right now. Yeah, oh, the studio. Did the network heads just buzz in? Oh, hold on, hold on. Someone's telling me right now that um his name is the well manicured man. Apparently, that's what I hear. That's what they say. On I like calling streets. him original old white asshole. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll stick with that. Ooh-ah. Ooh-ah. <laughs> Hoo-ah. Okay. Anyways, the ooh-ah tells them everything that he knows which is like everything that we already know but he just kind of reiterates in case you're lost at this point so he tells them how very helpful so he tells them about operation paperclip he says that clumper was trying to create an alien human hybrid with the technology that he was able to create and all of the scientific bullshit he was able to discover while he was being given safe haven by americans um and he says that that's what the was in the boxcar. Mulder puts two and two together, and he says that Klemper was using human test subjects. Scully's like, Mulder, wait. DNA wasn't even discovered until 1944. He's lying. And then someone says that the reason that they took, that they there was tissue samples in all of the medical records was because the government took tissue samples of everyone who got a smallpox vaccine, so Klemper then had access to the medical records of nearly everyone born since 1950 to do his experiments on. Scully's like, Mulder, this is a fabrication, pure science fiction. And Uwa is like, why would I lie to you? And Scully's like, you would lie to protect yourself. 
and the continuation uh. of the Nazi agenda. It's really hot. And then Mulder's like, why was your file there, Scully? And it's really sad because like Mulder realizes why her file was there with a recent tissue sample. Um, but he doesn't want to say it out loud if he doesn't have to. It's kind of like one of those moments where it's like he wants her to just realize it. And yeah. like, but then she starts yelling back at him. And so he like painfully has to tell her that there were current records because of abductions because she was an abductee. And it's a really heartbreaking moment and Scully is just so, it feels like watching someone who's just realized that their entire autonomy has been completely violated come to that realization or come to terms with that or have to come to terms with that yeah. and being told that by somebody that you love and that you know cares about you. And like David, I mean, you know, he doesn't do much well, but he did, he delivered that line, that exchange very, very well. Mm -hmm. um and so his acting was good this episode yeah it was it was great and so um yeah scully obviously just com rendered completely speechless by the fact that she's been violated in this way um leaves <laughs> so she leaves and then we're like okay that never happened and Mulder's like ugh, okay bye and then he like gets an inch away from uwa and is like why'd you take my sister <laughs> <laughs> he's like hold on a second why did you take my sister? He why, literally did, like, why did you take my sister? Scully leaves, and then he's like, okay, mister. Why did mister? you take my sister? Why did you take why my did, sister? I know you did it. I know you did you What did you do? Uh, did uh, you do? Uh, he literally is like, okay, mister. Looks like he's about to, you know. Like, like you know, like Fred Mertz from I Love Lucy, like high-waisted boxing shorts yes. with the big padded boxing gloves. He's like, let's go put him up. He's like, he's like uh, rolling his fists, getting ready to sock one sock Literally. him <laughs> so then uwa it's like is like we took your sister because um your father threatened to expose the project so we took her as insurance so that he wouldn't expose the project and then he says that Mulder, your life is in danger because now you're threatening to expose this in the same way that your father was so hmm if this follows the same pattern of logic, I'm assuming we can expect something horrible to happen to Scully sacrificially because Mulder got too close to exposing what these men do. But that's just like, just a prediction. Just yeah. a prediction. If we're following on this Scully as Samantha journey. Which, it, which the show does. Absolutely. Crycheck calls Cigarette Smoking Man in the next scene to tell him that he's still alive and Cigarette Smoking Man shits his pants um and he lies and he tells all of his old white asshole friends that crycheck was killed along with the tape being destroyed in a car bomb he always is lying like he literally is so always. bad at his job so yeah cigarette smoking man says that he's going to meet with um skinner but he's not planning on making a deal but like i don't know how this is going to pan out well for him so we're back in greenwich connecticut um Mulder is at his mother's house and he wakes her up in the middle of the night to ask her if their father ever asked her to make a choice between him and Samantha and he asks her very aggressively and is like violently shaking her and she said it was your father's choice and that she hates him for it even in his grave and like that's hot girl shit 
it is hot girl shit. Like, go fucking, what's her name? Tina? Tina. Tina Mulder. Go, Tina. But, like, Mulder, you cannot re-traumatize your mother just so you can have the satisfaction of knowing what happened. Like, have some fucking empathy. Like, this was your sister, and you obviously want to know what happened because you cared about her, but this was her daughter that, like, her partner and husband sacrificed. Like, that's the thing that I don't understand, which is, like, I know we talked about in the last episode that it's like it feels like Mulder thinks that like his mother wasn't traumatized by this as much as him if not more well that's a man for you like because the thing is is like with men are very visual creatures right you're told this constantly you're told this as like an, an, ex, an excuse for why boys can't control themselves and why girls need dress codes and all of those things right exactly. um but I find that like I'm going to speak in my personal experience because I won't make a okay. generalization, but like in my personal okay. experience, men can't seem to understand trauma unless they can physically see it. Yeah. Like I've had ex-boyfriends who I have like horrendous cramps and I have really difficult periods who like don't believe that they're really that bad. But like if I would come home from rehearsals with bruises on my knees from just like doing choreography on the floor, like doesn't really hurt. They'd be like, oh my God, are you Okay. Yeah. So because there's no like visual representation of his mother's trauma, he's like, oh, it can't be as bad. So Cigarette Smoking Man shows up at the FBI to talk to Skinner. He says he has the tape and that he'll give it to him in exchange for Mulder and Scully's safety and their reinstallment. It's all going very according to plan for Skinner right now. He's mm-hmm. like really feeling himself. He's like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm hot shit. He's like, look at me in my shiny head. If it feels like he was moments away from like getting off to this. Like Cigarettes Walking Man calls Skinner a punk. And it's like if you call someone a punk, you automatically lose. I'm sorry. Like yeah. you have egg all over your face. <laughs> Every time I got called a punk, like by a teacher. You got called or punk by, by a teacher? My mother. Yes, my own mother called me a punk often. A punk? Yeah, a punk. I just laughed because it's just like, it's just the goofiest, like, it's just the goofiest word to call someone in a serious manner. Yeah. You know, except for the teachers that I had crushes on never called me a punk. (laughs) You're so cute. Um, (laughs) So Skinner brings out contestant number one from behind door number one, and it's Albert. And he says that he- That was funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it looks like. Um, he says that, uh, Albert, along with 20 other Navajo men across four states have memorized word for word, the entire tape. So that's the end of my note. So Skinner says, so unless you kill every Navajo living in four states, hold on. Um, who do they think they're fooling saying that that would stop them? Like as if killing native people has not been something our government has routinely resorted to. Like, they're Skinner like, yeah, we got you. Like, huh? Skinner literally said you'd have to kill every Navajo man across four states. And cigarette smoking man working for the U.S. government was like, okay. Like, that should stop them. But oh, we know that's like so no. fucking ignorant to think that that would. Uh, yeah. That that exactly. would be a stopping. Like, oh, shit. They well, got us. Especially because it's like in real life, realistically, the U.S. government white people have killed entire populations for much less just saying like just food for thought you know 
Yeah, I found that bizarre as well. So we cut to Mulder in the hospital. He finds Scully in Melissa's room, but her bed has been cleaned and she's not there. They have a little heart to heart. Scully tells him that Melissa died three hours ago and that she went into surgery and the damage to her brain was worse than they had hoped. Mulder tries to tell her to take time off of work again. And she's like, no, I'm Dana. I need to work through tragedy, Scully. So don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and now she's even more badass than she was like in the beginning of the show when she like needed to work because now she's like, there is no justice in the way that there should be Mulder. She's like disillusioned. Yeah, she's like a rebel now. Yeah. And um, she's kind of having like an, ex- an existential moment where she's sort of forced to come to face with, or forced to come face to face with the fact that nothing will bring Melissa back. So there truly is no justice in the way that it's intended. And it's that simple. Yeah. Like I think up until this point, she like, had a grasp of that but i think that like her losing melissa was like oh no like no matter what happens there will be no justice because nothing is going to bring back my sister yep then Mulder says it's not justice it's fate which like fuck you is is he trying to tell scully that it was fate that he came back and not her sister or that like it was fate that her sister died and not her okay then like, babe it was fate that your sister was abducted and that your dad was killed how does that feel like fuck please you. elaborate please elaborate the one thing that i kind of like thought maybe was happening like in his in that line in my analysis of like earlier in the episode was that he means like it's along the thread of what scully said which is essentially like history will be the only justice like how history judges these people will be the only and remembers these people will be the only justice yeah um and so fate in the sense that it's like what happened happened and while there may be no justice in the form that we want it or that we believe is just and right um what we can do is work is work and do what we're good at so that we can contribute to down the line in history how these men will be remembered yep that's a stretch it it is but i mean that's a way to get through it but my overarching note was that ambiguity does not equal depth and like that is but chris carter thinks that it does it's a reach right like yeah for that to to find that reading which is fucked like it shouldn't be in a scene like this that's closing out a three-part long mythology episode we should have some sense of closure and like where the characters are at absolutely but like the issue is that like chris carter thought he could fashion like an entire show around questions and around ambiguity because that allows him to avoid hemming any plot and like disappointing any 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 fans exactly like, the issue is that like things need to come to a close at some point and trying to tie literally every single th- question that you pose together in two episodes at the end like just say that you know in the original run yeah was a failure and then everything after that 
just contributed to it even more. Exactly. And like, even in the very last moment of the revival, when it's like, and finally they're going to have a baby together. It's like, he's like, well, that's what fans wanted, right? I'm like, yeah, babe, I wanted that in season eight. You fucking numb nut. Like, hello? I don't want it now. I would rather have them just be satisfied that they didn't wait weren't able to have that opportunity but they're going to move forward from it like I would rather have that yes and I also think yeah and I also would like to get back to your point of um ambiguity doesn't equal depth because I really really like that that's one of the biggest qualms that I have with the show is how often they use ambiguous language to signify like a deeper meaning when really it's just it just is contributing to the fact that like Chris Carter doesn't want to cut off anything like he doesn't want to yeah he won't he shut any doors limit the possibility of anything he doesn't want to shorten the range of anything mm-hmm. but the issue with that is like the language that even Mulder and Scully use with each other like the truth and like I feared what I what the truth was and like there's no justice and like what is fate like the answers are in the x like everyone else uses those same words so they aren't even specific to Mulder and Scully yep you know what I mean yeah like, I do I mean this is what my final thoughts revolved around because like there's a rule that I like a writing rule that I learned in like my creative writing classes in college that is like you should show rather than tell is what my te- my professor would always mm-hmm. say like show don't tell so like rather than saying she was angry say her cheeks flushed and her hands clenched and whatever like show yeah. the evidence of what you're saying instead um like give a physical example it's always better to show but there does need to be a balance of telling to like give yourself given circumstances and things like that um and this show i think is unique in the fact that it doesn't do either like you're told very little and shown even less and so there's there's ambiguity where there should be clarity and clarity where there should be ambiguity and i mean that by being like in this end scene it would be more helpful to clarify exactly what was lost what the plan is to move forward like what exactly this truth and or answers are like where we're leaving the characters because the format of the show is going in now we're going to go to a monster of the week we're going to forget about this for a minute so i should at least be sure where they're at when we leave them um there didn't however need to be clarity around eric albert's grandson getting visibly beaten and like there doesn't need to be clarity around visible trauma the marginalized groups in the show face like that can be ambiguous for the sake of avoiding being gratuitous but so like but this show like it's so backwards it's so that truly described it so perfectly um and i think too it's like i was thinking about it and it's like if Mulder and scully were actually to say what they meant it would just stray too far from what chris carter intended the relationship to be yeah, like but you gotta go like the thing with storytelling is that at, at some point I especially know. when you're writing a series like this the characters get a life of their own you have to abandon the tropes because that's just a starting point like you have to move from yeah. that but he holds on to that way too tightly well and like the other issue is like he's holding a spade without calling it a spade yeah david and jillian Mulder and scully whatever you want to like boil this these like interactions down to it's like they do a great job, you know? It's like mm-hmm. they do a great job at portraying two people who are so so tied to each other now that it's like to think that they would be able to exist 
that closely without communicating and saying like where they're at is ridiculous. It's preposterous. Yep. So yeah. So Mulder says, um, I know the truth that we're looking for is in the X-Files. He's like, I'm so sure of it. And Scully's like, bitch, I know the truth. I want answers now. And it's so funny because like I literally wrote, you try to summarize what they're saying and you literally cannot you summarize can't, what they're because, saying because they're speaking in code. Like exactly. they're speaking in code. They're literally not saying anything. So honestly, props to David and Jillian for getting through this scene. Because if I was handed that script, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, what, what are you supposed to do with that? How do you emote when you're saying nothing? Yeah, they're saying so much. It's it's just it's just Chris Carter speaking the way that men speak. They say so fucking much and they say nothing at all at the same time. Exactly. They talk, they talk <laughs> and they talk and they say absolutely nothing. The thing is, it's like one of my one of my least favorite scenes is the ending of season 8. Because it's like it's dialogue, same thing. dialogue wise, it's the exact same thing. It's like Scully being like, from the moment I became pregnant, I feared the truth. And him being like, I think I that we fear the same thing. And she's like, well, what is that? And he's like, <laughs> we both know. She's like, huh? <laughs> and then they kiss. And then it's like, oh, right. What? Like, this show, I think that, honestly, this is what hooked me in, because this show makes me feel stoned without wasting any of my weed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. That's such a good, that's such a good line. So, anyway, they hug. Mulder's on his knees in front of Scully, which is absolutely a sight I can get used to. Um, and my final thought is just... <laughs> you know what, do you want to know what popped into my head? Let's hear it, yeah. Can you guess? Is it something that we've seen? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thick image. Is it when she's hanging on to the... In the coat closet? When she's hanging on to the... <laughs> it's always that one. That... I think about that so often. Okay, so basically, there's a fic that I uh, recommended to Stevie very early on. Um, in our friendship. In our friendship. Basically... Mulder and Scully. What? Also, I think today's our friend anniversary. Is it? I think so. Wait, let me. T- I'll check. But I feel bad. We should have done something today. Oh, we can go get a drink. Okay. I'm we sorry. Can go get ice cream later if you want. Bitch, why are you sorry? Because I wanted to get you a present. Well, we can still get each other a present. Okay. 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 Can tell tell it's the story. Just a day. Um, we can celebrate each other whenever we want. Okay. Anyways, the fic is Mulder and Scully are at some FBI event, right? They're they're all dressed up, okay? And um, uh, they go to fetch their coats <laughs> in this, like, I'm not really sure how the coat closet works. It's very extensive. There's a lot of coats. There's aisles in mm-hmm. rows. And they're in an aisle. Someone, one of them can't find their coat. So naturally, Mulder ends up eating Scully out. And she's, like, holding on to the coat rack. And she has one leg, like, draped over his shoulder, like, lifted up. And one leg, like, that's barely touching the ground because she's, like, trying to lift herself. I mean, it helped me discover a a fantasy of mine, you know? Love it. Love it. Just something powerful about, like, stand, like, 
Because, you know, because it's, like, I feel like women are, like, in heterosexual relationships, like, women are always getting on their knees. Like, that's the image. Mm-hmm. And so to have to have him get on, woo, a girl. Yeah. No, that is absolutely a trope that I love. Um, because, yeah, you don't, you don't ever, you don't ever see that. And, I, and so my final thought is, um, I thought, where did, because, like, David's acting is, you know, I, I could live without it here, but he does do a great job at like embodying this softness that Mulder has. Yeah. Yeah. And I just kind of am curious as to where it came from because we know the relationship he had with his father, obviously, and um, the very like strained and, and sort of like non-physical relationship he has with his mother. Um considering like later on in an episode i know we talked about this but like she goes to um hit him and like he doesn't even flinch yeah i was just like where did this man get the softness from and like i like to think that maybe like he was saving it from samantha now scully gets to experience it again scully scully and samantha i don't i'm sorry Uh to add another log to that fire but that's really sweet that's sweet in a not creepy way you know like that's not right yeah that's so sweet i love that what a good way to end this roller coaster of an episode i know and like listen they're both sisterless now yeah fatherless mad and in love Aww. And that's the episode. Good job. Do you want to do Jillian's Corner really quick? Yeah. All right. Jillian's Corner. Jillian's Corner. Yeah. Hannah Montana cut sequences. All right. So we're doing a little, a new little segment here. We're just it's coming called, at you with all the new segments. It's going to be called um, Girl Boss Moments from Jillian. G-B-M-F-G. Girl Boss Moments. Girl Boss Moment of the Week from Jillian Anderson. Yeah. With Jillian Anderson by Jillian Anderson. Perfect. So each of us found a little moment of where, we, where she's girl bossing <laughs> that we're going to share. I don't know how girl bossy mine is. I had a hard time. That's okay. Honestly, here's here's the fun thing about girl boss. There's Amy. so many different definitions. There's so many different definitions and like truly whatever you pick, Jillian Anderson's life has been um 90% um talent and motherhood and 10% girl bossing. Yeah. So really it's so a are we, win either way. Are we are we looking at girl boss as like the negative definition to where like whatever you want it, it can be, be whatever it, or whatever. it could just be like the, uh, what a good girl boss could be because there's so many different for whatever our, you want it to be for the listeners who don't really know what girl bossing is do you want to explain what like the two different ways that what a girl okay. boss can manifest so girl bossing can manifest in something that seems feminist but is really actually problematic <laughs> and or very tone deaf yeah it's like white, white feminist, feminism. Feminist-y. Yeah. It can also mean something that's just like kind of self-destructive, but like a vibe, you know? Yeah. And you're also and, a girl. 
And then also or a boy, you could be anything. Yeah. And then also it could literally be like, I think girl boss could be like, you could have some badass moments. Cause I picked a not bad one. That's okay. See, it can be whatever you want it to be. Okay. I I'll get better as we go. I'll, my girl bossing senses will, will sharpen. Yeah. They'll sharpen. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go first since mine sucks. Okay. No, stop. It doesn't suck. So we're going to post these on our social media in our thread like we do. If you don't follow, follow us on social media, we're at the Sex Files Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. Give us a little follow. We post Our threads are so fun. Like, I think they're great. They kind of have a little bit of something for everyone. Yeah, because we just kind of like chronicle favorites of what we talk about throughout the episodes. It's like a little teaser. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we're going to post these there. And so my girl boss moment is in, what year was that? 2016 and Jillian Anderson she did a film called Sold which was about um child trafficking specifically in India um and she used that movie to uh talk about sex trafficking and like bring some attention to that issue and she actually went well yeah I was gonna say and she actually went to the UN to speak on it and so this video is when she's doing an interview after she gave her speech at the UN which was amazing and I'm sure very intense and stressful um and she's talking to the interviewer and these guys are like having a conversation in the back and she like stops and she's like hold on can you guys can you guys just and she tells them to shut up basically but then she kind of gets shy like after she says because they're like what what are we doing and she's like nothing it's nothing just, can't just I'm like just trying- i just can't concentrate girl boss like relatable you know do you want to play I'm, it i love that moment yeah too, yeah wait yeah too. just we'll just play it and engage in the uh the many um aspects of action that they can get involved in spurred on by this film what impact you have can you make yourself can you guys stop <laughs> yeah you guys you want to have this <laughs> no i just you guys are having a conversation behind the camera so yeah. i can't focus okay it's funny because then someone like tries to come up to her and she's like what do you want she's like i'm trying to do this um and it's important you can tell that she cares but it's like oh it's I, so i just like that moment because i would be so fucking i would not have the moxie to like tell somebody to be quiet so the fact that she even does i'm like that gives me confidence you know totally oh my god i love that she does anyway because so- you want to know why it's girl bossy right why it's a girl boss moment because she really recognized that like here are the two alternatives here are the the possibilities right i don't say anything because i'm embarrassed and i don't want to seem like i'm being a nuisance or high maintenance or a drama queen yeah and then i end up sounding like an idiot in this video because i can't concentrate on what i'm saying or i sacrifice temporary discomfort and embarrassment maybe at having to call out grown men but then I sound really smart and I'm really proud of what I said and I get across every single point that I have to make and I say every all the important things and she did the latter and I think yeah which is amazing and I was gonna say like maybe we can bring stuff to girl boss of the week and like say like is it a girl is it girl boss or is it not we can okay. decide. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's do that. But I agree. That sums it up really well. Okay. Let's see. So actually, I was going to do something funny, 
I had a couple of options, okay? But I'll do one that's very girl boss for like so many reasons. It's very jam-packed, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is from an interview that Jillian did when she was filming Fight the Future. Um, And the question was, uh, what did you learn from your night in the holding cell in reference to when she got arrested? We're not going to talk about it. She said, what I learned is that the police can be swayed by somebody in a good enough mood. 50 girl boss points for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that that was like a level up. That was so jam-packed with a girl, bo- with girl boss yeah. points. She mm-hmm. just leveled up. And then she said, and let's just say I was in a really good mood when it happened. I was just chatting and chatting with them and they knocked it down from breaking and entering to trespassing, which was a huge difference. I didn't have to pay a fine and they let me go that night, but I still had to do community service. For a week, I had to clean this YMCA, which was entirely humiliating. The guy who ran the place was kind of mean to me when I had to scrub the floors and polish windows and do all that kind of yucky stuff that you don't want to do on a summer day. Then in parentheses, it says, she turns around and in a polite but stern tone addresses a group of beefy men chatting loudly in a nearby jacuzzi. And then it's back to Jillian and she says, is your conversation going to continue for a while? Because if it is, we can move. You're more than welcome to make a lot of noise. It just doesn't work for us. And then in, and then in parentheses, it says, she picks up her plastic water bottle, her plastic bottle of water and moves to a table across the pool. That was jam-packed. That was... She's, she is my favorite girl boss. Because here, <laughs> listeners, will break it down. The, the first bit is incredibly girl boss because, like, people of color are murdered by the police, right? And she's like, right. I was in a good mood and they knocked it down. Meanwhile, like, black people are being murdered. So let's put that one in, in, in check, right? Not great. Um, yeah. I mean, I was telling a story the other day where I was talking about, like, a time where my dad got caught with weed on a plane. Um, mm. And then I was in the middle of telling it. And I was like, this is going to be a story where he very well could have died if he wasn't if he white. Was yeah. Yeah. And so I, and so that awareness is, is important. Like the difference is if that, is that if Jillian were a young, a young black boy or girl, I would, would bet all of my savings that instead of knocking down the charge, they They would have tried to, um, they would have just, they would have tried to, um, destroy this young person's life. Yeah. She very well could have been in prison. Yeah. For a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. I mean, I wouldn't have brought that up if she was still saying problematic things, things like about that, yes. police brutality and all of that. But she seems like she's educating herself and doing um, homework and doing work to educate herself. So that's all that matters. Second girl boss moment is when she literally yelled at an entire group of random men who were just chilling in the jacuzzi because they were talking too loud for her ears. And said it unabashedly. And the way that she did it is very girl bossy. Like, you can make as much noise, it's just not going to work for us. <laughs> it's just not going to work for me right now, so just be honest with me. Yeah. Love it. And That was a fun segment. That is fun. And that's the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We love you. Remember- And for your continued support, always. Yeah. It truly means the world to us. Yeah. In our little apartment. In our little home. 
<laughs> Anyways, um, go eat some chocolate and um, be sure not to culturally appropriate. Watch your girl bossing. We'll see you next time. On the sex Bye.